It's 002 Shoulder to Shoulder LAFC Podcast. This is your host, Chris, with my co-host, Christian, and we're glad to have you guys back. Hello, everyone. So, uh, man, dude, episode two, here we go, man. Let's uh, let's get it rolling. We had a lot of amazing, interesting things that happened to LAFC over the weekend. We had uh, our first preseason match that we were able to see, and man, that experience at the bank was amazing. It was quite the atmosphere at the Bank of California Stadium. Some of the... Miss Kobe after the match, actually talked about the atmosphere at the stadium. And we also heard in some of the interviews that Tyler Miller had post-game that he was commending the atmosphere from the 3252 and the rest of the stadium. 18,000 people strong cheering on the LAFC. They were just cheering on the team and how everybody was doing, right? So it's, you know, they also talked about how uh, the 3252 looked like they're in mid-season form. Right. No, cheering with their hearts out as if it was... You know, middle of the season and their you know, points at stake. And uh, the team played like it too. And you also got to keep in mind that some of the players are fighting for roster spots. So it makes sense that it was not only an intense atmosphere uh, from a playing perspective. And since they are also playing with some of the World Cup winners from Spain and the World Cup winner, Lucas Podolski from Germany, that they were trying to give everything they had when they were out there, especially in the first half. I remember briefly reading that uh, Andre Iniesta, he, he paid us some pretty heavy compliments on, on the stadium and the environment. Yeah, no, he did. He he was talking about how it was a beautiful pitch. You know, the grounds, the grounds crew at the Bank of California Stadium have done a great job keeping it as green as ever. And I also think that the rain helped keep the ball um, moving as quickly as possible, especially for such high-powered passing offensive players such as Iniesta and Podolski. Uh, so that helped them out. And then he talked about how the atmosphere was electric. Obviously, the entire game, the 32-52 came and made sure that they were the heartbeat of that stadium, keeping the rhythm and the chance throughout the game. So uh, let's get right into it. Uh, uh, for the uh, starting lineup, we had some players that, uh, you know, we'd never had an opportunity to see play before. Eddie Segura... Uh, was starting uh, as one of our defensemen, and uh, and we had Schaff Brewer also as one of our defensemen. And you know Schaff was on the team last year, but he played a lot of the season out on loan. Um, he played uh, for Phoenix Rising FC. So other than that, though, we you know we had Tyler Miller and Harvey Horta, Rossi Vela, Artuesta, Win Blackman, and uh, Diomande. And so I mean that was that was an amazing lineup, you know. For any game at any point of the season, let alone it having to be a preseason. Right. And, you know, for those that listened to last week's podcast, we, we did talk about the rumors of Rodolfo Fito Salaya coming from Alianza in El Salvador. And he was actually announced Wednesday. The team made him the honorary Falconer. He came out and there was a huge roar at the stadium because uh, Los Angeles has a huge El Salvadorian population. It was awesome to see the Salvadorian fans cheering loud. There was all kinds of flags and, you know, El Salvadorian gear. One of the things that I was really happy about was to see even more Salvadorian flags in comparison to last year and Salvadorian national team gear to support him. He walked around the pitch after releasing the Falcon, uh, went up to the 3252 and got all kinds of hugs from the Salvadorian fans and the 3252 uh, fans uh, felt very welcome. He said so in some of the um, LAFC.com postings. And one of the things that I thought was interesting it was in the 
post-game press conference when they interviewed him alongside with John Thorrington and an interpreter was um, John Thorrington disclosed some of the filters that LAFC has in acquiring players. And one of the things that they consider a filter, apart from having the skill, the speed, and understanding Bob Bradley's system, is that they want to acquire players that uh, reflect the city of Los Angeles. And as we all know, the second most popular or populous in LA uh, after Mexican-Americans is Salvadoran-Americans. And having one of our own that we know on the pitch is going to be exciting. Uh, I think he's going to have a tough time breaking in just because it's a skillful team. But when given the opportunity, I can definitely see him being a difference maker, coming on in the second half to start, and then maybe allowing himself to to earn some minutes in the near future because of the exhaustive and compressed schedule that LAFC is going to have later in this year. You know, it's actually really interesting that you bring that up too, because if we look at the other parts of our roster, you know, we've got a lot of diversity uh, with Stephen Basishore, and we had Omar Garber last year, and it's it's really nice that the uh, ownership is looking at trying to make a diverse roster that represents what LA is, which is just a melting pot of the world. Yes, definitely. So one of the things I I, I imagine when John Thornton John Thornton is describing this, some of the academy players, right? They come from all over the city, all kinds of ethnicities, and I'm sure they come to the games and watch, and then they can see some of that they see. They can see someone they identify with, not only in how they look, um, but also what their culture uh, is and being accepted. And that's all, that is all that LAFC is all about, which is one of the reasons both Chris and myself love, love the club. Absolutely. Some of the things that uh, stood out to me, you know, Eddie Segura, you know, he, he overall, I felt like he looked really good. You know, I mean, he had a couple bad touches, but I think that he looked like he would be a formidable uh, center back. He was taking the position of center back in place of uh, Zimmerman, who was still uh, with the U.S. men's national team. But I, I mean, I thought I thought he did well. What I liked from him is he looked comfortable on the ball every time he touched it. Uh, he even chested it down at one point, dribbled out of danger, passed it across to the other center back and to Tyler Miller multiple times. So it was it was an impressive outing. I did I do think he did have a couple. Um, bad mistakes that you would have thought uh, would have brought his confidence down when he was playing, but just kept on going. I think he's still trying to figure out the understanding of the three center midfielders and when they check in, how they check in, when they run away from the ball. Uh, Same with uh, Brewer. Um, So as he's figuring that that out, I think he's going to begin to gel with the team. So he did have a few glaring mistakes that could have become goals for both Tyler Miller and Blackman save the day and make sure that that didn't happen. Yeah. You know, something else that you mentioned, Shaft Brewer, you know, on the roster, at least the roster that was from last season, he was listed as a forward and we have him down playing defense this year, you know, as a right back, you know, he, he was flying, you know, he was, he was playing well and he was all over, but you know, right before we started this, you were mentioning to me that you felt that part of the reason why, you know, he was on all, all parts of the pitch was because he was out of position. Right. No. So I think he's a very skilled, very fast player. Um, and he's he's new to the right back position. So at times I think he gambles a little bit because because he's offensive minded. So as he runs up the pitch, he might leave some spaces in behind. But I think that 
Bradley wants that offensive eagerness of him going forward to overload some of the different areas of the pitch on the offensive side so that it will create more chances. It is a risk um, with him still being young in that position. But I think with Bradley's coaching and also with better communication from the center backs to let him know that there's space behind him, there's someone behind him to keep an eye on, that he can excel, especially giving Betashore some competition to make sure that he also gets some rest throughout the season. Speaking of Betashore, do you think that at some point this season that Shaftbrew would be able to transition to the starting 11? Or do you feel like that might be a season or two away? I think it's a season or two away. He doesn't have the experience that Betashore does. I don't think he has that final ball or understanding what the center backs when he has to go diagonal with his balls. Um, and I don't think he has the same crossing ability as Betashore at this point. He'll, he'll for sure see the pitch because there's going to be a more compressed schedule this year. Uh, the season's going to end earlier. There's international breaks. There's also cup games. So I think because of that overload, he will see some minutes and uh, hone in on his skills as a right back. So let's uh, let's get to the fun part of the game. Uh, four to one was the final score. We didn't mention that earlier. So the final score was four to one. And in the first half, we had two beautiful goals by none other than our captain, Carlos Vela. And the, from the vantage point, I was sitting in the field club. The vantage point on that left foot on the right side, I mean, that was such a beautiful ball in. I mean, we've seen them all last season. And throughout his career, but I'm just they get they are so beautiful to watch. Yeah, and, and you know, going back to I think what what made made that happen was when uh, Dio came off on the 28th minute. He played more of a central role, and because of that, he was playing more of a false nine, co- dropping in, receiving balls, and then at times switching with Blessing, and he would go off to the right and drift away. So when Blessing came off for Diamond, I didn't mention that, but when Blessing came off for Diamond. He received the ball, you know, about 40 yards out and attacked the defense diagonally to the right where he saw Vela. Vela received the ball near the, the box, cut in as he usually does into the box, you know, and placed it on the goalie's right, oh, right over him into the, you know, the top corner. Amazing goal. He's done it multiple times. He did it in Portland, did it against the Galaxy last year. And, you know, he, he obviously has the touch and the finesse to put the ball in that exact spot and where goalies can't touch it. Um, and it dips down right under the post. The second goal by Vela was also amazing. Um, one of the things that I, I noticed him do was he faked cutting into his left and instead chipped over the tackle from the Vissel Kobe player quite easily. He anticipated that he would try to slide tackle after he realized that Vela was going to go right instead of left. He did that, but once he got into the box, what was amazing to me, instead of just Know, shooting with his right or crossing uh, right across the face of goal. He squared up, opened up his hips again, and you know took a similar shot to his first goal, put it on the other side of the goalie, uh, bent it around him, and you know get, scored that second goal. So, so Vela is one of those players who can, in a glimpse, just put the ball in his left foot, and even though it's supposed to be on your right foot at that point, depending on the angle, he makes it happen and makes that shot go around the keeper quite easily. So the third goal then uh, was actually a uh, free kick. So it was, I believe it was just outside the box, right? It was from Peter Lee Vassell? Peter Lee Vassell put the ball right into the into the six-yard box and glancing header perfectly put into the corner by Djakovic. I think it was perfect technique. He just kind of ducked to allow the ball to ricochet off and put off the goalie. 
off of that deflection and scored. Um, he was a captain for the second half. One of the things that uh, we thought was interesting with Blessing still on the pitch, but I think giving him some of that uh, responsibility and leadership, he is one of the older players at 33 um, uh, with that young squad in the second half. Yeah, and it wasn't also just Latif. You know, Tyler Miller was on the pitch too. So, you know, to have somebody like Djakovic who was potentially not going to be on our roster in the offseason, to have him come back and to be wearing the captain's armband, I feel like that shows that there's a lot of faith in Bob Bradley and this player and that he deserves to be here. So now we're back onto the fourth goal, which uh, was a, uh, a coming down on the right-hand side was uh, Kevin Mendoza, who is one of the players that we have on trial right now. That one, I didn't really get a good vantage point of that one. Did you Did you get a, a chance to see any of the replays on it? I did. I actually did see the goal. Um, so he received it uh, on the right side of the pitch near the 18-yard box. And then he, he did a little bit of shimmy, faked left, went right, and took took a nice finesse, uh, slightly driven but chipped shot over the keeper. And, you know, really happy for the young guy. He definitely was facing the 32-52, what I think which I think made it extra special for him to be able to score that. And you can you can see on his face that he was extremely happy to be able to you know, put put his name on the score sheet in front of 18,000 fans at the end of the night. Which, you know, and I felt bad for him too because, you know, in the bank when after a player scores the goal, you know, the announcer will say the first name and then, you know, we'll, as a crowd we say the last name and because there was a lot of people that, you know, obviously he's a, a player that nobody knows about. Uh, or very few people, I'm sorry, very few people might have known who he was. So when the announcer was saying his name to give give credit for the goal, it was kind of quiet, you know, and it's just, I wish that there was a way for LASE to have put out that roster with the jersey numbers associated with the players, especially because they didn't have their names on the back of these jerseys because uh, it was, you know, practice jerseys in preseason. Right. No, I, I think it made it tougher for the casual fan, even for the diehards. Uh, most of the people that knew who was playing is because they took pictures of the roster sheet and someone put them on Twitter. So Right. And I mean, we were constantly looking at my our phones and just saying, you know, oh, who's this player? Who's this player? And But I mean, it was good. It was good to, you know, see a lot of new faces out there. A lot of people that were trying to. Somebody else who really impressed me from that game was uh, Lamar Bastia, who uh, was playing in the back line. Uh, he came in in the second half and played center back. I, mean, I don't know how tall. I mean, I don't know how tall these players actually are, but he, he was like ahead above everybody on the field. And uh, you know he he was in he was in a lot of the action. The the way I saw him play actually reminded me of the first half with Segura. They were able to control the 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 game. They didn't um, feel the pressure necessarily, and they gave the right pass in most instances. So you know overall, I think that the the youngsters, from what I see, and the, the short time that I had at camp with LAFC, they were able to put the game plan in place, the style of play in place. They retained a lot of the possession. They looked comfortable on the ball. Uh, they were able to distribute and keep a little bit of the pace. Although when, you know, when Vissel Kobe did score their first goal, it was a 2-1 situation. And I, I know that there's been instances for those that have gone to LAFC games or watched them that LAFC doesn't seem to hold a lead. And with the youngsters on the pitch, uh, I was a little bit afraid that that might be something that happened again. But, you know, Djakovic came to the rescue. 
and then we scored that fourth goal. They put it away for us. You know, one one of the last few things that you know I wanted to touch base on for this Vissel Kobe match was uh, the fact that Peter Lee Vassell was you know he's getting a big responsibility in taking the free kicks, and that might have to do with the ball placement that he has and the control, or the fact of you know the accuracy that he has in terms of striking the ball towards the uh, goal. But I just I think that that's great that we've got a player that's only been with us for a handful of months and he's already taking a good role with the team. Right. So when he was on the pitch and when he received the ball, you can sense and you can see that he was really aware. As soon as he received the ball, he looked up, uh, was able to pick out the correct pass and the right spacing, uh, was able to recognize where the overloading was or where it was too congested to spread the ball around either to the defense, diagonally forward or all the way across the pitch. He has, you know, looks like he has control with both feet from a passing perspective and his his long passes were accurate. So I was impressed for him being our first pick within the draft. I'm impressed with his awareness. I think he can definitely learn a lot from uh, Win Orta, Atuesta, K. And I, I really think he's actually going to, you know, be able to stay on the roster and, and grow with the team. You know, you know I, I said it, I said it uh, last week, but I mean, to get him in the second round, and I think you said it too, that you couldn't even believe that he was available when he was. I think Bob Bradley and, and Thorrington have done a good job thus far. Um, and it, it was something that we saw on the pitch, and it looks like he's he's been performing well uh, in practices, so he was able to show that with that uh, second half at the Vissel Kobe game. So uh, is there anything else you want to mention about the Vissel Kobe match? Uh, the only thing I, I do recall vividly is when that free kick was taken, Tyler Miller did read that. Perfectly, and I, I I recall seeing him upset at himself because he got a hand on it, and it still came off the post. You're talking about when Vissel Kobe scored. When Vissel Kobe scored, so um, I I know that he's working hard, and he's going to be in midseason form here soon. So the fact that he was able to read it, get across the goal that quickly, uh, was great. Absolutely. Um. So with that, now let's uh, start talking about the. Uh, the loss that we took to Columbus Crew, uh, the final score of that game was 4-2, to two, and that was played Monday afternoon, and that was a closed game preseason match that was only available to the press. So our starting lineup for that match was Tyler Miller at goal, El Munir, which was the first time that we got to see him play, uh, Eddie Segura, Harvey, and Schaff Brewer were the defense, with Guido, Artuesta, and Horta as our midfielders, and then we got Christian Ramirez back. Uh, and he was there with Vela and Blessing as our forwards. So something to point out, too, it looks like now that uh, Marco Arena is gone, Christian Ramirez has changed his number from 12 to 21, which is what he wore in Minnesota. A number that's near and dear to his heart. So the fact that it became available, I think, is going to make him a little bit more comfortable. I think it's one of those things uh, as a player that if you played with a certain number your entire life and then you have to switch it and then come to a new situation, it's just one of those other factors that um, may, may put you off a bit. But he's coming off of a couple good games with the U.S. men's national team, uh, was able to score in that first game. He, he's fit. He's ready to go. Uh, like I said in the last podcast, I think he's definitely going to uh, compete with Diomande. And I think he's going to start in more games than uh, last year for sure, depending on the style of play and the tactics that Bob Bradley puts in, he has two definite choices to lead the line uh, as our center attacker. And so uh, at halftime, that score was 1-1, and the goal that LAFC got was actually an own goal, and that was in the seventh minute. 
you know, it was that that game was was a little bit harder to be able to actually put in a lot of analysis just because it was closed and we could only really go off of the highlights or the things we were reading on Twitter. But uh, Columbus Crew had a goal in the 38th minute, and then we go into the uh, second half, and uh, in the second half we had a change out to uh, Djakovic, Harvey, Segura, Mark Anthony Kay, who just came back off of uh, that uh, injury from last season, Lee Wynn. Peter Lee Vassal, Javi Perez, Latif Blessing, uh, Adrian Perez, and uh, Christian Ramirez. And then we also had Philip Ejimadu, who is uh, the replacement goalkeeper for Tyler Miller. Right. Um, and, you know, some of the things that I was able to, to find on LAFC.com was one of the interviews, one by Bob Bradley and one by Mark Anthony Kay. And, and uh, Bob Bradley was really happy with the way they constructed that third goal by Lee Wynn. And they got that 2-1 lead. He did say that with Mark Anthony Kay on the pitch, they were able to control the game a little bit more. Uh, that was great to see him on the pitch again. Uh, but his fitness level was not um, where it was obviously last year coming off after um, a long injury. So Bob Bradley mentioned that you know once his fitness level uh, or, or once he started getting tired is when the, the team's level kind of dropped off. And uh, they lost the midfield a bit. Right, yeah. I mean, Mark Anthony came on in the second half, and he was subbed off in the 74th minute. So right. So 30 yeah. minutes. Exactly. That's exactly right. And I think when he came off, that's when the crew took advantage. And That's uh, uh, actually uh, two minutes later is immediately when uh, Columbus crew... Uh, well, the score was 2-2 at that point when uh, Mark Anthony K came off. And then in the 76th minute, J.J. Uh, Williams from Columbus put in the third goal to take the lead. Despite that, despite the loss, both you know Bradley and his coaching staff and the, the team was happy with the performance. And you you might say why why are they happy with losing? You know you have to keep in mind that during the preseason, the intent and the goal is not necessarily to win every game. Even though if that happens, that's great. It's to continue to build on the ideas and the system that they're trying to put in place with the, with the attacking free flowing football. Uh, you know the right spacing, the right overloads, and the right portions of the pitch to you know put the defense uh on their heels and put pressure on them so that they can make a mistake and have our you know fantastic attackers capitalize and score more goals so uh another thing that uh you know i just wanted to mention uh over the weekend on saturday was it saturday or friday night it was saturday night so yeah i wanted to mention that we we were fortunate enough to be invited to a season ticket holder uh event and one of the surprises was actually being able to go. Well, I mean, to... going and getting a tour of the stadium was a surprise enough. Right. It was. It was a huge surprise. Yeah, you're. You're right. So we we should go in sequence here. Right. So I. So we got invited, and I. I'm not. It wasn't like a big uh, season ticket holder event. I mean, there was probably maybe thirty people at the most. Right. Uh, but we got invited to go to free play, which is uh, upstairs on top of the field, uh, right next to the Bank of California Stadium. And uh, there we met with some of the season ticket holder reps, and they said that they were going to take us on a tour of the stadium. So we went down and checked out all of the uh, premier levels on the uh, west side of the stadium, closer to the Coliseum. So we saw the uh, Founders Club, Field Club, parts of the Sunset Deck, and uh, which is, I mean, I, not everybody gets an opportunity to see those uh, premier club levels. So it's it's definitely nice. It was kind of eerie, though, looking looking at the pitch from uh, those upper levels when there's nobody there and the lights are kind of dimmed down. 
Right. But yeah, no, totally a treat. Um, had access to to places and parts of the stadium that I hadn't had a chance to experience. So I felt like a kid in a candy store. Felt felt like that, you know, the goosebumps. Like this is what they get to experience and walk through every day and give us a show. And now I get to step in the same, you know, on the same carpet, same floor, same seats kind of thing. And, you know, for those of you that don't know either, so the uh, field club, which is where the players walk out of when they come onto the pitch at the beginning of the game, if you go in there, there's a big glass window, and that's where they have their post-game press conferences. And, uh, you know, that's actually right adjacent to um, a seating area where it's like high tables, like almost like a, a, a very nice bar setting area. And so people can watch the players walk out of the locker room tunnel. They can uh, watch some of the post-game press conferences and things like that from in there. And we actually had an opportunity to go in there and sit behind the desk as if we were getting interviewed, which was kind of cool that the LAFC backdrop, you can see that all on our Instagram um, at LAFC S2S. You can see some of the pictures of the tour that we had. Um, And I mean, I was, I then found out that we're going to go into the locker room, which that locker room was amazing. Right. No, going back to what you said, like if you follow us on Instagram, we do have, you know, some pictures of uh, the places we got to see. Totally felt like a coach or a player being interviewed in that uh, press conference room. But then the, the ultimate surprise, as you mentioned, was that next room we got to see. And that next room was the actual locker room. You know, uh, We got to go into the locker room and it was kind of a little bit of a big reveal by some of the LA, LAFC team members. There was someone at the door kind of letting us know, hey, you know, just wait a little bit. Um, and then once he opened the door, lo and behold, Mark Anthony K is actually in the locker room. And he was just standing there with open arms, man. Very, very gracious gentleman. I I mean, that was, he's one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. I mean, he, he stood there for hours. And I, I mean, well, at least a, a good hour and a half talking to people, signing autographs. And it didn't matter. You could, he, People were talking to him about anything and everything. And he just was an open book. It was amazing. Right. And and he, he you know, we asked him a bunch of questions about his journey and coming back from his, you know, pretty, pretty tough injury in his ankle, especially when he was in midseason form and performing really well against uh, our bitter rivals, the Galaxy, um, that day. And although you know, his injury led to a free kick goal from win last year, we totally took a hit as a team in terms of depth oh, absolutely. When, we, when he came off the pitch. So he was telling us about his journey. Like you said, he, he was very open and he actually let us know that he had practice early that day and he was looking to... Uh, get it like 15 to 20 minutes maximum 30 the following day and we you know we wished him luck and you know he performed well Bob Bradley said he did uh, really well and then he he said he was happy with his own performance also it's amazing right I got to go into that uh, that locker room and I'm personally a big Tyler Miller fan so if you look on our Instagram that's why you'll see the picture of me standing in front of Tyler Miller's locker pointing up to his number one and then you'll see a picture of my uh, my oldest son in my arms, and he's pointed to number one, too. Um, but it was great. It was a great experience. Thank you very much, uh, Rich Orozco, for the uh, invitation and setting everything up. And, uh, you know, it was it was an amazing night. One of the one of them. I'll never forget that night for as long as I live. No, definitely. And, you know, to piggy, uh, piggyback off of what you just said, I, I took a picture in front of number seven because that's my wife's favorite player. My, in my opinion, he is a game changer. He's a wild card we have on deck to, to, you know, change the game up, change the pace. So I'm pointing, or I'm not pointing, but I'm actually 
taking a picture in front of number seven and then also try to pose as if I'm getting ready. Uh, I, wasn't, I didn't get the chance or didn't have the skill set to become a professional player, but you know, I got goosebumps just being in that locker room, um, imagining putting on some socks, some shin guards, you know, my boots, uh, strapping those up and getting out there to represent the back and gold. So it, 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 at times it, it was semi-emotional slash exciting for me. Um, I'm pretty sure I lost my train of thought so many times just because I was lost in the moment. Yeah. So, but we got sidetracked here. We were talking about the Columbus Crew match, and then you know because we mentioned uh, Mark Anthony K, we went off on this tangent about our uh, tour that we had that we were going to talk about later. But we got to it early. So let's finish over here with the uh, Columbus Crew game. Latif Blessing went and played right back in the second half. That I thought was an interesting change. Something we didn't get to see last year. Definitely an interesting change, and. I actually didn't know that in practice he's done this before uh, under Bob Bradley's instruction. So it's an interesting mm-hmm. dynamic to have uh, both Brewer, who is a converted attacker, and now we're finding out that Latif has played this role in practice with the team. And this was the first instance in which he did it in the game. So I, some of the things that come to mind because of this is I'm wondering if Bob Bradley at some point this season might play a 3-5-2, playing three center backs in the back with um, five midfielders and then using those two like Brewer and Blessing as wingbacks, depending on who they're playing. That's definitely a possibility. Or if, you know, if we have some injuries and he has to play three in the back, uh, that's something else that can happen. So I, I also think that he might want to see if some of the opponents have a weakness on one of the defensive sides and playing uh, with uh, an attacking right or left back uh, can overload that, that side to put some good crosses in or, you know, put it to Vela so he can cut it and put those beautiful shots in the top right corner of the keeper. You know, and it's amazing too, because in the off season, if you were to read up on any of the uh, transfers in or out or this, that, that there was a lot of people, I feel like on social media that were uh, pining for big transfer names in, and they were maybe disappointed that we had re-signed uh, some of the players that we got because it wasn't like we got anything in addition to people were saying, you know, we're not really improving on where we ended last year if we're not getting people that are going to provide us different skills. And now you look at this roster now and you've got everybody pretty much from last year is back. But then we also add Blessing who can play D. We've added... Um, so on the, in the back, we have Blessing, as you said. Right. So, then- we, right so we have Blessing who can play D. As and, an alternate. And then we also have Shaft Brewer, who can now play D as an alternate. We've got El Manur, who uh, we just got in the trade for uh, Moutinho. So, I mean, there is. There's a lot of uh, additional options. that we And we got Eddie Segura, too, who also came in as a center back. So I feel like people may not have just realized that, I, you know, Bob Bradley had a plan on how he was going to try and make changes to the defense. Now, to recap, so we, we kept Zimmerman and Silva. And we got Segura... And we have, at this point, Jakovic, and we also have uh, Blackman as center back options. Oh, that's right. I forgot about Tristan Blackman. And then we also have Betashore. We have Jack Brewer, who can play on the right. And then we also have Harvey, who plays on the left with Elmanur. So we're actually pretty stacked in the back. At the minimum, we have six defenders to choose from playing in the back. In the midfield, you have Wynn, Kay, Orta. A twista. Um, so you have four there, solid. And then if needed, you can bring down uh, Vela or um, Blessing to help out. And Vito Zelaya can also help in the midfield if absolutely needed as well. 
So we have a, a plethora of midfielders, and then you also have uh, up top Diamande and Christian Ramirez. So the team, I think, is deep enough to have a successful campaign across the different competitions that LAFC is going to be a part of. You know, uh, one thing that we wanted to also talk about was uh, Alejandro Guido, who uh, is one of the players who's on trial for us right now. He was uh, wearing number 11. Uh, he's kind of like a local boy from San Diego. He uh, has represented the U.S. Uh, national team at the under-17 in the World Cup, and he most recently played with uh, Tijuana. Right, no, he, he played with Charlos. He, he did okay there. We'll see how he performs in the next few preseason games to see if he can get a roster spot. Just because the team is so stacked and sounds very deep at this point, he might he might not be able to. But we'll see if he if he like I said if he could perform, I'm sure Bradley will give him a shot and keep him on at the very least. Maybe keep him on to to be part of the practice squad. Some of the reports that I was reading from Twitter from some of the um, journalists that were there though they did make heavy compliments on Eddie Segura and how he performed in that in that game. Yeah, this is one of the things I I, I think mentioned, or uh, well, one of the things I did mention last in the last podcast was in his highlights. What I liked from him was a composure, similarly to what Simon had. He has a composure, but what's different about him is that he doesn't uh, play as risky of balls or you know plays out of position slightly. So him being so young um, with Zimmerman back there. Uh, we have an experienced uh, defender with Silva. I think those will be the core three. They'll be alternating in a majority. But having Blackman and Djokovic as all additional alternative center backs is definitely going to help. And, uh, and and Blackman is actually a converted uh, right or left back, which is impressive that he's also made the change with the coaching to be able to play center back. And he was impressive. He actually saved Segura in that first match in a couple of bad passes that he that he made. So uh, that that's pretty much it that we've got for the Columbus Crew match. So up next, um, LAFC has another closed game scrimmage against uh, the reigning MLS champions, the Atlanta United. That's uh, going to be this upcoming Sunday. What do you expect from there? I'm interested in seeing the first 30 minutes or so, at least what social media will uh, give us information. On. Yeah, report yeah. on because that's when the both squads are gonna actually have uh, their starters for the most part. And I know that Atlanta United is stacked. Uh, they got P.T. Martinez from um, River Plate. So I want to see how he's acclimating, how our defenders deal with that, and if Joseph Martinez plays and how our defenders deal with that. I'm sure that Atlanta United won't give too much away, but it, it, we, we want to make sure that we're at the very least keeping on pace with them from a fitness perspective, because I think they're going to be trying out new things with their new system, having a new manager this uh, upcoming campaign. Did you see that uh, Popa got signed? Yeah. Uh, Paul Popa's brother. Uh, I'm, trying, I'm trying to look up. I just I saw that it was... Yeah, so that actually broke today. It was finalized today. This is February the 5th. That, that broke out today. It hit the presses. So... You know, I I see Atlanta United from a culture. Florentine. His uh, first name is Florentine. So Florentine Pogba signed with Atlanta United. Big news. I see Atlanta United from a team and tactics perspective, the competition, because they have now proven that they can fill their stadium, a huge Mercedes-Benz stadium, which, fun fact, there was more people that went to the MLS Cup. Uh, there was more people that went to the MLS Cup than went to the Super Bowl. Really? Yep. 
So I, so what were the numbers? What were the numbers for the MLS Cup versus the numbers for the Super Bowl? I want to say it was by two thousand or so. It was like seventy three versus seventy one thousand. You know, which is amazing, right? So I mean, have you ever been to a game with? Uh, a huge number of people like that? Uh, I have. I've gone to a Rams game. I went to the Rams Kansas City Chiefs game. Oh, greatest. <laughs> One of the they said I think they said that was the highest scoring Monday night football game ever. It was a shootout, I think 105 points of offense. I think, yeah, I think they were saying they were like just a like seven points shy of being the highest scoring NFL game. But yeah, so a, a, a huge game like that, and you know, you get these clubs in MLS like Seattle. Atlanta that are able to fill it and I mean you know the drum and bass and things like that that you don't really have on other sporting events I mean I I really want to see some of these away games in person because I'm sure it's just such an amazing experience definitely so yeah interesting fact I saw someone put on Twitter uh, so them having now the connection with Pop Pogba not, not only are they already the quote-unquote super team because of the funding the ownership, the stadium, um, all the fans showing up, and now the championship. But having Paul Pogba's brother and the hype that Paul Pogba and his family brings uh, via social media, I think is going to be interesting. Um, on, on top of that, I think that they they tactically as a team are going to try to pick up where they left off last season. So that's one of the main competitions, at the very least from an offensive perspective and the things they try to do to entertain the fans. What are the chances that you think that he'll play on Sunday? Pogba. Pogba? Um, it depends. So the deal may have gone through. I don't I don't know the news as of right now if what well, where he, was he is. He was in America at the airport wearing right. Atlanta gear, so Right. No, so usually there's a medical, I don't know what the paperwork and all that is with the front office and the league. But you know, it is only Tuesday when we're recording this February the fifth, and Sunday is long ways away and all that can can be expedited, I'm sure. Because getting some momentum from a media perspective for the league and having the Pogba name with Atlanta against LAFC, it's not a it's not a bad preseason game to at least talk about. Absolutely. So uh, that's pretty much it that we have uh, for this episode for this week. Uh, next week we're actually going to be recording on Monday, and we have a very special guest. And uh, yep, please stay tuned. Social media, we're gonna have some teasers out there. We don't want to disclose the name just yet, but it's uh, it's big. It's a very very big name, and uh, you're gonna ma- want to make sure that you uh, catch next week's episode. We'll be recording on Monday. Hopefully, we'll be able to uh, submit it and have it live on Tuesday, Wednesday at the latest. All right. Well, I want to thank all of you guys for listening. I want to make sure you guys follow us on social media at LAFC S two S. Everything on Twitter, Facebook. And Instagram at LAFCS2S, or you can shoot Christian or I emails. Uh, my email is chris at LAFCS2S.com, and Christian's is Christian at LAFCS2S.com.